good morning. Welcome to JICF. Uh, I'm Yusuf. I'm a member also of JICF. Uh, uh, if you have been here for the last couple of months, you know that GICF is going through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and we are talking about the king and his kingdom. Today, I'm going to talk from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25, and this is about the first public ministries of Jesus. If you have recently become Christians or you have been Christians for a long time, you might ask questions like, what, why are we going what we are doing right now? Why are churches doing this, building hospitals, uh, reaching out to the sick, preaching the gospel, sending missionaries? Uh, probably we will find the answer uh, here as Jesus showing us his public ministries. And what we are learning today is like an introductory ministries of Jesus as a preview that he is going to do through the rest of the book. Let us uh, pray before we learn together. God, our Father, dear Lord Jesus Christ, we are so thankful, we are so grateful that you left heaven, you came to earth, not only to die on the cross to set us free from the bondage of sins, uh, to justify us, but also you live on earth to give us examples. Uh, to, to show us how we can minister to others. And today, Lord, we are going to learn together from uh, the first public ministries of the Lord Jesus. And help us prepare our hearts, our minds, Lord, to learn from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I would like to say three things with you about the first public ministries of Jesus as we grow through the text is quite a long passage from 12 to 25. Uh, three things, when did Jesus start his public ministry? Secondly, where did he start? Where is the place he chose to start his ministries and that what did he actually do? What were the ministries Jesus did uh, first time? When did he start his public ministry? This is in verse 12 of our text. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. In the book of Mark, it says, uh, after John was put into prison, Jesus went directly to Galilee and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the connections between the arrest and imprisonment of John to the first public ministry of Jesus? Now, because John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, or some will say John the Baptizer. My Presbyterian friends do not like to call him John the Baptist. 
because my Baptist friend says, you see, Baptist is the correct one. Even John was called John the Baptist, not John the Presbyterian or John the Anglicans, John the Baptist. Uh, so we call John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, uh, but certainly not the John the Presbyterian or the Presbyter. Uh, he was the forerunner of Jesus. He came to prepare the way for him. And after Jesus was baptized by John, he went uh, to fast and pray for 40 days. He was ready to launch his ministry, but John the Baptist, the baptizer, John the Baptist, was still alive. He was still standing in the way of Jesus. And Jesus was still kind of in the shadow of John. And John the Baptist was very powerful. He was well-respected. Many people came to hear him. Many people liked him. There are lots of crowd behind John the Baptist. So if Jesus launched his ministry, they will be like a two big groups. There will be unintended rivalries between the followers and the ministries of Jesus and uh, those of John uh, the Baptist. Actually, Jesus had done some ministries down in the south, nearby Jerusalem, where he and his disciples also baptized, and John and his disciples also baptized. And that, that creates confusion among some people. You are doing this, John is also doing that. So, where are we going to go and listen? Uh, so, when John was arrested and put into prison by Herod, Jesus seized this an opportunity to take over the ministry and to launch his public uh, ministry by going up north, going to Galilee, because he was in Judea. Now, why was John arrested? It is not told here. Later on, when we read in chapter 14, verses 3 to 4, uh, we are told that Herod Antipas, Herod Antipas is different Herod from the Herod who was trying to kill Jesus. It was called Herod the Great. His father passed away, and Herod the Great, who was not a Jew himself, uh, had four children. His wife was a Jew. So these four children of Herod uh, were considered Jews. Uh, he arrested John and put into prisons because of Herodias, his wife, and his brother's wife. Because John was saying to him, it is not allowed to have Herodias as your wife. Why? Because Herodias is the wife of his brother Philip, actually his sister-in-law. Now he's, he marries his sister-in-law. And Herodias herself was actually the niece of these two uncles. So the niece was married to Uncle Philip and later switched to Uncle Herod. Can you imagine that? You married your own uncle and then even that you switch. And this is a message, if you go through the lineage of Herod, later on we read there is uh, another Herod who goes with her sister, uh, who came and visited Paul. And people, the words are going around that maybe she's living with her own brother. 
So it's a, a messy family in their lives, and they don't like to be criticized. They don't like to be told the truth. So he arrested John, and he put into uh, prisons. And this is because John was the forerunner. He came to prepare. This is time for Jesus to move forward. One commentator says, the moon and stars are lost when the sun rises. When Jesus comes, it is time for John to be at the background. Even though it is through, through imprisonment, something that we don't like, but this is the way God has chosen. We can learn that sometimes in our lives also, in ministries, in the directions of our lives, some things happen that we don't like. Uh, uh, God closes the door, uh, political situations, economic situations, other things happen that prevent us from doing certain things and open us doors to do other things He wants us to do. We are told in the book of Acts, sometimes Holy Spirit prevented Paul from going certain places. And because of that, he opened the door for Paul to go to Philip, and that was the first time the gospel entered into Europe and, uh, and to the whole world. That was the reason, and second point is where did Jesus choose to start his ministry? Uh, to whom he chose to minister to in his first public ministry. I think that the people and the place Jesus chose were not uh, accidental, they're not coincidental. He prayed, he taught, he knew uh, where he wants to go and to whom he wants to minister to. And he chose Galilee and the people who lived there. It is said in our text, Jesus withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, and he went to live in Capernaum. Nazareth is his hometown. He went there. We know in the story, the Gospels, that he was rejected in his hometown because when he proclaimed, I'm the Messiah, they all knew he's actually the son of Joseph, their neighbors. So he was rejected that, and he went to Capernaum, where he was accepted there, and Capernaum then becomes his headquarters of the ministry of Jesus during his time on earth until he went to Jerusalem and was crucified there. And Galilee, he chose because he's already prophesied by the prophet Isaiah long time ago in Isaiah 9, verse 1 to 2. Uh, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, that is uh, up the north of the Sea of Galilee. You can see here Capernaum, north, and Judea is down here. Uh, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of Gen the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, 
a light has dawned. I would like us to draw our attention to the words that are used here about Galilee. This is called the Galilee of Gentiles, not the Galilee of the Jews, and to the people living in darkness, those who are living in the shadow of death. Why these words are used to describe people living up there? Living in the darkness, living in the land of the shadow of death. Uh, there are some uh, explanations to that. First, uh, because Galilee is up in the north. And from religious point of view, Jerusalem down in the south uh, here is the center of religion, the centers of the worship, the center of uh, everything. Uh, in Jerusalem, there is temple of God. People study scriptures. There are schools of rabbis. All the priests, the experts of the law, they live in and around Jerusalem. The whole atmosphere, if you enter into Jerusalem, is, is, is religious. Yeah, in the modern sense, in a modern city, we could say that Jerusalem, you can see the churches in every corner of the street. Uh, there are Bible colleges there. There are lots of mission headquarters there. People are doing men's uh, breakfast Bible study when you go into a restaurant uh, that uh, we, we happened to have that in, in, in Dallas. We just went to eat our breakfast, and then there were men doing Bible study, and they pay for our breakfast. Once they know that we came for a church conference. Uh, so uh, you can go and you can hear the Christian songs played in the malls, in the stores, everywhere. Sounds very religious. But not so in the north, up there. Far from Jerusalem, there is no temple, no schools of rabbi, no priests, no sacrifices, only synagogues, small houses of prayer where the Jews could come and pray. There is no churches on the corners of the streets, no religious atmosphere. It's far away. Even if once a year they travel to Jerusalem, they have to pass through Samaria, which is considered not Jewish. So, it is not a religious place, in a sense, seen by the Jews. And also it's called the, La the Galilee of Gentiles. In the south, it's nearly a homogeneous society. Almost all are Jews. You share the same cultures the same uh, religious uh, what, desires, practices, but not so in the north. Due to its uh, proximity to the north, the Syrian cities, you have lots of people coming down there and live there. It is a mix of the Jews living there and non-Jews, the Gentiles living there through trades, passing through the places. So it is, it is quite mixed. And even there is a place 
uh, here called Decapolis. It's a Greek, means ten cities. From the name itself, you know that it is, there must be many non-Jews, Gentiles living there. The people of the north are looked upon with contempt by people in the south. You can still remember once and uh, religious leaders said, search the scripture. Can you find, has there any prophet ever come from Galilee? No one's. We are proud southerners, they will say that. Uh, these are considered rude and rough. People can easily recognize them by their accent. That's why Simon Peter was actually uh, easily recognized. Jesus himself was even known as the Galilean. Someone said that the Galileans are fit for soldiers, but not for scholars. We can use their muscles, but not their brain. Another thing is because people there are living in the bondage of sins. They're living in the darkness in a spiritual sense. They're ignorant of the true and the living God. And because of that, they are having lots of sufferings, lots of problems in their lives. Then soon we will uh, discover that. So from the even geographical point, we could say that this is why Prophet Isaiah prophesied. These are people living in darkness, in the shadow of death. And Jesus chose to go there and to start his first public ministry. He could just start from the south. He could be in Jerusalem. But he went up there in Galilee, where there is need, a lot of need, serious needs in there. These are places of darkness and the shadow of death. Uh, let us think together uh, for our context. Can we ask, what are the places of darkness in Jakarta? What are the places in Indonesia where we can we can see like Isaiah, these are like the place of the shadow of death. If Jesus comes to Jakarta to start his public ministries, where would he go to start that? Who are people living in the darkness that Jesus would like to go and minister to? I would think certain places like, and people like, when you go to the Muslims, he goes to the poor, to the refugees, to places of corruptions and injustice. We will hear later on about this. Those who are lost spiritually, those who are far away, those who hardly heard about anything Christian or about Jesus. There are many places when you ask who is Jesus, they don't know. They have no idea about who is Jesus. There, is, there are places where the least presence of Christians, wherever they are. You can think of your own place of works. Maybe there are some dark places there that needs to be rich. 
And once Jesus is there, the, the questions will be, so what did he do? What are the ministries Jesus did to reach out to these people? In one sentence, we could just say, he brings light to these people. He brings light to this uh, darkness. It says here, people who are living in darkness have seen a great light. Those who are living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Dark places need light. And I say to my friends, our co-workers who are working in the dump site, I say in the dark places, even the little light shines very brightly. You ever been to a very dark place? You just need very little light. It can shine the whole place, the whole rooms. And in the very light place like this, we probably don't need candles. We don't need light. It's, it's very lighted already. But if you go to dark places, they desperately need light. Even very small is significant already. Hopeless people need hope. Sick people need doctors and medicine. Naked people need clothes. Homeless people need shelter. Hungry people need food. Justice is needed for those who are treated unjustly. Lost people need to be found. Sinners need the Savior. The weak need strength. Those who are enslaved by sins, they need to be set free. Those who are ignorant of the true and living God, they need to come and to know uh, this true God. And Jesus brings it to them. His kingdom is called the kingdom of light. When he brings his kingdom to the earth, he brings light with it. John gives testimony about Jesus like this. The true light has, that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And Jesus says about himself, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And later on, Paul even says, for those who already believe, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves. His kingdom is a kingdom of light. And wherever Jesus goes, he brings light to expose darkness in all kinds of uh, senses. But how did Jesus bring light to these dark places? We can read uh, in verse 23. And this is what is called the threefold ministries of Jesus. From the rest of the book we see, we will see Jesus always doing these three things. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, uh, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease 
and sickness among the people. So there are three things we can see clearly. Teaching, proclaiming, and healing, or a compassion uh, ministry. Uh, I would like to start with uh, preaching, proclaiming, and then teaching. The last one about healing. Proclaiming. This is in verse 17, Jesus began to preach. This is his first sermon recorded in the book of Matthew. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. This is the first sermon is like the, the inauguration speech of a president to lay out uh, his visions for his term. Jesus' first sermons sets the tone for the rest of his entire preaching ministry. Repentance was always a constant uh, message in all his, his, his public preaching. And uh, the last command he gave to his disciples when he, before he went back to heaven is to preach about repentance and the forgiveness of sin in Luke 24 verse uh, 47. And if we see in this context, repentance here is to turn from the darkness into light. Change your citizenship from the citizens of the kingdom of darkness to be the citizens of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming, and now he is offering to people to become and become citizens uh, of his kingdom. Something new is breaking forth. Something new is happening right now. We'll see more later on. And the second ministry of Jesus is teaching. Preaching is for the crowd. For many people, sometimes they are interested, sometimes they are not. But teaching is for the disciples. That is why uh, there is a, uh, the next verses talks about Jesus calling his disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus did not go to Jerusalem to the school of rabbis, elite schools, to recruit his first disciples. But he went by the Sea of Galilee. He didn't go to find the students of rabbi. He went to find fishermen to be his disciples. And he said, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And they left and they followed uh, Jesus. That happens also with James and 
his brother John. They were working as a fisherman when they were called by Jesus. These are unlearned, not highly educated people. But after they were called, Jesus taught them, Jesus trained them, Jesus shared his life together with them for three and a half years. And this is one of the keys in discipling, is not only giving some information to people we are discipling, but sharing our lives with them. Jesus told them, come and see the place where I sleep. You know who I am. And uh, Jesus changed them. And uh, these are people who are industrious, who are accustomed to hardship. But they are just ordinary men. And later on, after Jesus went back to heaven, they preached about Jesus and they were arrested by Jewish religious leaders. And this is what they discovered about Simon and John. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The last sentence is important. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is the reason why these fishermen, rough, rude people up from the north, now could stand before this crowd and preach and testify about Jesus Christ because they had been with Jesus. Jesus has changed them. Jesus has transformed them. Jesus has equipped them. There's a good lesson for us as well. Regardless of our backgrounds, who we were, it is not a problem with God. He could call anyone, and he's able to change, to transform, to equip us, and to use us for his kingdom. Paul says he chooses the foolish things of the world to shame those who are wise, those who think they are wise. And, and Jesus shames them by calling these ordinary men and changing them. The book of Matthew ends with the command of Jesus to his disciples, great commandment, to go and make disciples of all nations. And making disciples is the core uh, command in the great commandments. When the disciples heard about this command, they're familiar with that. They know that, yes, we were called and discipled by Jesus. Now Jesus is asking us to go and make disciples of all nations. Why did Jesus have to choose disciples? Why didn't he just preach to the crowd for a couple of years and then he died and went back to heaven? Because he wants a group of people who will continue his work on earth to build his church to bring his kingdom to every corner of the world nowadays we are here now because of these disciples they were sent out to preach the gospels and we are here because many years ago missionaries came and they preached gospel to our parents maybe grandparents or even ourselves now we are followers of uh, Jesus 
There are two types of people that follow Jesus at the time. The first type is the crowd, and the second one is the disciples. The crowd, the uncommitted people, they just follow Jesus wherever they go with certain motivations. They want to be fed, for example. They want that uh, the, because Jesus is famous, something new. They just want healing. Uh, there was uh, miracles, but they are not really committed. The same crowd that when Jesus entered into Jerusalem in the last days of his life, they said, Blessed is the man who come in the name of the Lord. But few hours later, they said, they shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. Jesus wants to preach to the crowd of people, but he's more interested in recruiting and discipling small group of people. And he spent most of his time with his disciples. Even during his ministries, sometimes he's teaching. It seems like he's preaching to the crowd, but actually he's also teaching and equipping his disciples who are sitting beside him. The whole three and a half years, actually the year, were mainly, primarily equipping his disciples and ministering to the crowd. Maybe we can ask the questions for ourselves as well. Are we disciples of Jesus? Or we are just part of the crowds? We follow Jesus maybe because someone else follows Jesus. I go to church because maybe I don't feel comfortable with my friends. Just go there. No committed. Uh, or if we are disciples, are we also called to disciple others? disciples, others in our workplace, in our house, in our ministries, in wherever God puts us uh, in our daily life. The third ministries of Jesus is healing, or I could say it's a ministries of compassion, meeting lots of needs of people. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria, up in the north, and people brought to him all who were ill with various, various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those who having seizures, and they paralyzed, and he healed them all. Demon possessed, having seizures, the paralyzed, is kind of representing different areas, different problems, different, different sufferings that people are having. Demon possessed is, is a spiritual problem, the spiritual sickness. Uh, Having scissors, we could call this having something problem with their mental, their, their lunatic, their, their mind's problems. And paralyzed is, is one of the worst kind of physical sickness. So it is spiritual, it is mental, uh, your mind problems, there's a physical problems. When we just read generally, we thought this is only for the physical problems, but if we 
read carefully, it is more than just physical. It is mental. It is, it is uh, spiritual as well. I like the translations of the message. Uh, the message, sorry, that is uh, one word mis- uh, mistyped there. People brought anybody with an ailment, whether mental, emotional, or physical. Jesus healed them one and all. We believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, now. He still cares for those who are suffering mentally, emotionally, and physically. We all know that in the modern world, sometimes we don't have so much physical problems. We are healthy physically, but we might suffer emotional, mental problems in our lives. Uh, Spiritual problems, many people are having that. And Jesus comes, and uh, this translation says, he healed them all, one and all. So, these are all the needs. There's a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and Jesus address and minister to them all. And we could say that this is, this is the gospel of the kingdom when he preached the kingdom. Of, he, he went around and he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. At the center is, is of course, a spiritual problem, sin problem, but it's the cause of every other problems in our lives. You have to deal, deal with, the, with the spiritual first or, or primarily. But there are others uh, who also, Jesus also cares for those. In uh, Christian ministries, in the churches, some will focus only on spiritual. They will say, yeah, the most important thing we do is to get people into heaven. Whether you are hungry, you are sick, you have mental problems, you just don't care. The, the sooner you get to heaven, the better. Sometimes that. Uh, we just want to minister you to get you to heaven. Uh, that is all that is important. You go to people who are hungry and say, yeah, believe in Jesus, but sir, I'm hungry, I don't care. Okay? Maybe you will die soon. Uh, we to feed them. They have enough food in their stomach. They can sit down and they can hear well to the sermon that preach to them. Others will focus only on physical needs. They don't want to do with other problems. Many ministries, many NGOs will think the problems that people have is only physical. You just give them money, you just give them everything and they will solve their problems. They forget that lots of problems are, are going deeper than just physical. This is what we call a holistic ministries that Jesus do to meet and to heal lots of things that people suffer uh, in the world. Sometimes people don't experience physical healing, but once their mental, their spiritual is healed, they will be steadfast, they will be persevere, they will be living a thankful uh, life. Isaiah 53 says, about Jesus, he forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. We could say that all these problems actually we trace back to the problem of sin. This is caused 
indirectly or directly by sin. When God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1 and 2, everything was fine, everything was good, but then sin entered into the world. Broken relationship with God, with ourselves, with the people around us, and that caused lots of problems, physical, emotional, and, and, uh, and other uh, problems as well. So we are called the gospel of the kingdom is the gospel that addresses the whole need of human being and with, of course, the spiritual need at the center of this. When Jesus did this, people see that something new is taking place. I want us to go to this first century and imagine for centuries, not only for decades, for centuries, the people of Israel haven't seen miracles, haven't seen something like what Jesus is doing. They haven't seen blind people see, paralyzed walk, uh, and even John did not perform miracles. So when Jesus was doing this, he was showing that a new age has broken forth. Something new has come. Something new has entered into the world. The Messiah has come. His kingdom has come. And all these feeling, uh, healings speak something even deeper than that, that Jesus will come and he will die on the cross to redeem us from our spiritual problems. The, the being paralyzed is also speaking about we, we can be spiritually paralyzed. We can be spiritually blinded. We are spiritually deaf. We are spiritually mute. We are stupid, um, lots of things. And the ministry of the Messiah reminds us that he's going to come and the gospel of kingdom will bring restorations, transformations started when Jesus begins this ministry. And inspired by these ministries of Jesus, the followers of Jesus have been in the forefront in helping others who are in need. They've gone to dark places, faraway places, tough places, where people are living in darkness in many senses, in physical, in spiritual uh, senses. Sometimes you will see how Christians are driven to lots of ministries, uh, helping people who are in human trafficking, in uh, drugs, in certain places are very dangerous. But God calls people to go there and to ministers. They set up hospitals to help the sick and shelter for those who are, are homeless. Why? I encourage you to read, if you haven't read the book, uh, titled, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? Uh, by uh, Pastor James Kennedy. He's talking about the contributions of, the Christ of Christians and Christian churches inspired by the ministries of Jesus to go and minister uh, in many areas of life, in health, in education, in many other things as well. 
A wealthy Christian woman, Fabiola, uh, a disciple of St. Jerome, one of the early scholars in the early church, is credited with having built the first hospital in the Western world in uh, around 400 AD. Hospitals were first built as shelter for the wanderer. And then later on, it develops to care also for six wonders who come. And then now we have uh, more than just that. The, host, the oldest hospital in America, I, was, I read that uh, the hospital of Jesus of Nazareth Hospital in New Mexico City was built by Christians uh, in 1524. And there are lots of lists, lots of things that, 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 that Christians have done. We could have done more, but we have done a lot. Missionaries go to remote areas, but also to the cities, the urban areas, to plant churches, to feed the hungry, to uh, set up counseling centers to help those who are having mental problems, clothe the naked, they are advocating for the weak, for those who are living in justice, and many other things. Could we imagine a world without Jesus had never been born? Maybe someone needs to write the book as well. A world we live in if Jesus had never been born, if Jesus had never shown us all these things. May we all also are called driven, inspired by him to go and use the talents, the resources, the educations, the connections that we have, which is a lot, uh, to go and to minister, to bring the king, the gospel of the kingdom to those who are in need. And we start with a spiritual need. You are also invited, if you have pain and sufferings, you can bring to Jesus. He's living in a life that is willing to help you to deal with lots of pain and sufferings we have in our lives. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, We believe that your word is living and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. It is penetrating to dividing the soul and the spirits. The, it judges the attitudes and the hearts. We pray, Lord, that what we hear from you will inspire us to be your followers, to be disciples of Jesus. Not only to be the crowd, not only to be called Christians, but to be disciples. And Lord, as we call ourselves disciples, uh, plan in our hearts desires to follow you, to use the gifts and, and resources, opportunities that you have given to us 
to minister to people who are in need spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.